Hey everybody, this episode of Talkin' Pop is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episodes starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience or get more engagement, you're going to check out poddex.com. Make sure you use that special promo code TALKPOP, that's T-A-L-K-P-O-P, for 10% off your first order. Poddex are the hottest new tool for podcasters looking to have more meaningful conversations or Game Fighter podcast. Simply shuffle up the cards, ask a question, and let the content roll. Get yours today at poddex.com. Once again, that is poddex.com. And make sure to use the promo code TALKPOP, that's T-A-L-K-P-O-P, for 10% off your order. This episode is powered by Poddex. fangirls welcome to another edition of talking pop it's the podcast on all things pop culture i'm your host of franchise of course joining me is my co-host biko hello hey guys um today's topic i don't know couldn't think of one but what do you think biko what did you find something interesting you want to talk about today this week uh not really i just wanted to do a news one again uh just see what's actually going on in the world right now because i have no idea <laughs> Uh, yeah, let me, uh, pull something up. So, guys, I'm there on you, Cetric One again. Um, let's see what we got here. What's the big thing? That's supposedly that's on everyone else's minds. I know the Oscars were Sunday. Mm-hmm. So, if you guys were following it, you know, I think we did something last year about it. But I think this year I didn't pay too much attention to it, though. Because, I mean... With being, like, the pandemic and stuff, it was kind of hard to see what film to follow. Because not many films were out of theaters. Most of them were either at home, like Disney Plus had did the whole Mulan premiere access, and then they did some Pixar did the Soul movie as well. And then, of course, HBO Max and the whole, um, you know, released the same thing as theaters, but pretty much, you know, you had to get HBO Max if you want to watch it for the comfort of your home. Mm. So I didn't see anything in the nominations that pretty much stand out as much. But let me see... 
But one thing I do want to bring up, uh, I did finish watching um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I don't want to give it too much away. Okay, so. Honestly, you'll probably spoil your guys if you've not seen it so far. It was six episodes. The series finale was great. Um, and right now, if you go on social media and follow Disney Plus or anything with Marvel, you're probably going to notice that Captain America has been replaced by Steve Rogers with Sam Wilson. So basically, it, we finally got to see the debut of you know, Falcon taking on the mantle finally as Captain America, which it should have been done all along ever since the end of Endgame. But of course, you know, Dempsey wanted to you know, build it up towards and you know, not rush him right away. And so Sam finally acknowledges why Steve picked him to carry the shield. And you guys see more um, development with the Winter Soldier as well. I mean, the program, yeah, for six episodes, it's something that it could have been just like a film by itself, but I understand with this route. I mean, it's not bad because you got a lot of character to building. You got to see Baron Zemo for a little bit for a while. Um, Sharon Carter as well. And, you know, of course, you get um, John Walker, who becomes in the comics, you know, as U.S. agent. So you got to see him. And then the biggest, like, cameo that you never thought would be in a film, be in the show. Julia Louise Dreyfus, Elaine from Seinfeld, is in the MCU universe. So she plays this character who I don't know, maybe she's from the comics, but she makes her appearance in like the last couple episodes, of course, the series finale. Um, I don't want to get into detail about the series finale because I want you guys to watch it. But pretty much the cat's out of the bag that you know Sam Wilson is Captain America, um, and like I said, you can go back and rewatch it. And of course, they did announce. As well, after the you know series finale aired last week, that a Captain America film is in the works. The same showrunner who did the show is going to be pending the script as well. So we'll see Sam Wilson and we'll see you know Bucky, you know the new t- basically the buddies now. They're buddies now, so taking on the next in line because because the series finale kind of like opened a lot of like it left like the series finale pretty much created this whole. Stuff that could, the, the next film could, you know, work upon itself on. So I'm excited that... And then, of course, there's, like, rumors that another Captain America project is going to work with Chris Evans, supposedly rumoring coming back to take on the parole of Steve Rogers again. But I know Kevin Feige from Marvel kept saying it's not true, he's not coming back. Trying to keep everything on the hush-hush. And then the one thing that I did see, um, that I guess in California, um, somebody... Paid, rented a billboard sign that's telling Marvel to please bring back Tony Stark. Hmm. Like, literally, I'm going to see if I can pull it up because, yeah, that's the one thing I saw. I was on Reddit. Um, let's see. Tony Stark billboard. Tony Stark billboard. Yeah, I just made it long. Here it is. Here we go. <laughs> this article was from five days ago, but... Um, yeah, it says, Iron Man fans ask Marvel to bring Tony Stark back to life at L.A. Billboard. Mm-hmm. So pretty much, it says it was put up by fans in Los Angeles asking Marvel to direct Iron Man Tony Stark back to life. So it's like, it's showing that... Um, yeah, as you can see, here's a picture of it on Twitter. Someone posted it on Twitter, but as you can see here, look at it shows the date when they posted it and everything. It was actually last month, like this, like a few days ago. It says here, for beloved hero, please bring back Tony Stark. Bring back, hashtag bring back Tony Stark to life for 2121. I mean, 
They were kind of nice. They do bring them back. I mean, I don't know if they'll bring them back, but for... I know, like, I don't know if... I know they're working on the series Ironheart for Marvel. They're working on the series. And I think Tony Stark ended up becoming, like, later on in the comics, he become like, this almost like an AI personality. I'll, I see him, possibly, if they do bring Robert Downey Jr. a role, will probably be either as, like, an AI role for, you know, Ruby Williams as, like, the AI. As was, like, Jarvis and Friday were for originally for Tony Stark. I kind of see possibly that because I know was it like months or like last year Robert Downey was on the Joe Rogan podcast. He even talked about that. Even he enjoyed playing Tony Stark. That he's more open to role if you know, and it come back depending on how it is. But he wants he says he wants to give fans time to you know, to settles before just making any big announcement because if he does come back, he doesn't want to spoil a surprise. You know. So, I don't know. What do you think of that, Biko? About do you think they should bring back Tony Stark? No, because then it would have ruined everything that led up to it. It'd be like them trying to remake another Justice League. It's the same thing. Just it's still a bad movie, no matter how you paint it. It's still bad. It's been ruined. And it's kind of the same if you do it with Tony Stark. Like he was an important character, but we kind of have to move on. Otherwise, if you bring him back to some weird side time scenario, it just wouldn't make any of the universe work, and it just would make it seem like it was just for nothing giving you an alternative timeline that with no real end goal and just bring the main character back because fans like it. I mean, it's what they want from Star Wars, but I don't think they're going to get it. And it's the same thing with Marvel. Marvel's not innocent from that. They, they could do it, but it'd just be really dumb. Like, the the billboards are cute. They're going to be nice little marketing ploys that, the, that um, Marvel can still use to pitch their other shows, but... As far as you seeing Tony Stark coming back outside of him coming back in like a hologram form or some shit, like I don't, I don't see any necessity to bring him back. Um, you could do so much more with other characters uh, outside of Iron Man and stuff. I, I'd rather see them explore that than to rehash old storylines just because it's gonna help. It's like, yeah, let's bring him back the original Avengers then and like forget the new ones we just built up to add and to make this whole big spectacle a thing you just just be happy with what you got that one time and if it comes back sure but I don't want to see him bring brought back because of nostalgic purposes it's, not, it's only been a couple years let's, let's, let's relax yeah and then plus we got the, the show what if the Marvel show that shows like what if seven characters and they, most of the people that play the characters in live action are coming back to the voices, so it's like we get to see them like one more time. But like you said, yeah, I think it's too too soon to bring them back. I mean, if they do bring them back, I like I said, I kind of suggest you know him being like the AI assistant to Ruby Williams in Ironheart, almost like the mentor. Like Tony was able to make, like he was able to create Jarvis, and then you know he was part of the Ultron project, and you know he made Friday. I wouldn't be surprised even in like Tony Stark before you know Endgame. This is my theory that. He, Record all his thoughts and stuff into an AI program. Because he was able to make that one message for his, like, daughter. So it's like, I wasn't surprised he ended up making, like, an AI version of himself. Which, like I said, like, possibility that you'll see possible in Lionheart. This is my theory, guys. I'm not, you know, saying it's for sure or not. This is what I'm thinking. Because I know, like, Loki's supposed to come out in June. So we got normal show. So we got to wait, like, about a month. I know right now She-Hulk is started filming. Right now, She-Hulk has started filming right now. And looking forward to that as well. Um, but like, that's one thing that came to mind for me when I saw like about that. Um, 
see if there's anything that's going on here. Top news. Here we go. Oh, I do want to bring up, um, speaking of movies, um, Demon Slayer, uh, the Mugen Train, debuted in theaters last Friday, and supposedly it made anime history. I just pulled up something from comicbook.com. Um, Demon Slayer Mugen Train, this article is written by Evan Valentine. So says here, Demon Slayer Mugen Train has already been broken college records since hanging the theaters in Japan last year. And within the latest adventure of Tajiro and his Demon Slaying friends hitting North America theaters recently, as if the anime film from Unfotable has far more records than it's looking to break. Though the first feature film of the Demon Slayer franchise wasn't able to take the number one spot theaters this weekend, with Warner Bros. Mortal Kombat taking out honor, it seems though the next chapter of Demon Slayer Core's adventures will definitely be making waves in the West. Scoring at number two spot in U.S. theaters, Demon Slayer and Mugen Train is the first anime movie to ever do so, proving that popularity of the Shonen franchise continues to expand. Though a own video release has yet to be revealed for North America. The latest film, Shockley, made its debut on the Sony PlayStation servers. As for a brief period of time, anime fans could own the movie long before it hit the home video due to a mistake in the system. But when I heard news about what caused the mistake, a number of fans were able to watch the Mugen Train leave the station for the first time. So. Yeah, it says here the first weekend, Demon Slayer Mega Train netted over $20 million at box office. Food and anime fans are definitely more than a little enthusiastic to see the continued adventures of the show in the series created by Koyoharu Kotoge, with, with, with the movie pulling in hundreds of millions of dollars in profits box office takes from around the world. It was just the other U.S. ticket sales with Edson Movies War Chest. So, like I said, Motor Combat. I forgot Motor Combat came out last week. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't have HBO Max, and did not go to theaters, like I said. I'm not going to theaters until it's something that I really want to go see. But I so far I've seen like a mixed reaction. It's been like a mixed reviews, but it says not as bad. And then there's this one character, I guess his name is Cole, and supposedly he's an original character. He's not a part of the Mortal Kombat lore, but I get the feeling uh I think Ed there was a report saying that Ed Boone requested it. Because uh, you know, him being like I think he was just like that character Cole is kinda like the audience per se and getting action with these characters mm. but I I had not seen the film I don't know I seen people online it was like like I said it was like a mixed bat between them but let me pull it up Mortal Kombat Let's see what the reviews were I mean I saw the trailer I mean it looked interesting like the concept and everything it's a reboot you know you can tell it took a lot of elements from the game and stuff but for me I don't know, compared to, like, the first film back in, what, 95, compared to now? <laughs> I mean, let's see what... Let's see, I can pull it up here. Really? Oh, somebody didn't like the film. Of course not. <laughs> I don't think it was going to be that good. This is from Slashville.com, guys. So it says here, here's the article. We're going to talk about the worst part of the new Mortal Kombat movie. Wow, this person did not hold back. Written by Jacob Paul. It says here, the new Mortal Kombat movie is bad. Sure, maybe you enjoyed it. Maybe it scratched a specific issue. 
may surpass your low standards, but let's be honest with ourselves here. It's a bad movie. I misread how managers ignore which is social material, such goofy, compelling film, also failing as an actual piece of cinema. Wow. I'm not here to write a review or more comment where I have one of those. I'm here to talk about the worst part of your film. The element that ground my gears to dust made it clear to take on this obscenely violent, utterly ridiculous video game franchise I didn't understand the appeal of those games. This is the aspect that even Paul W.S. Anderson's 95 film itself is imperfect, but when Paul announces, we actually get right. In other words, no, no excuses. Oh, shoot. The rest contains spoilers. He puts a question like, are there any more comments in your more comment movie? Before we get to the worst part of the comments, it's vital that we move to our due do, diligence do, and run down the things that are worst part of the more combat, you know, for specific reasons. I'm reading this from an article, guys. It's not me. Wow, it says here, let's start with the big one. The fact that there's no Mortal Kombat in Mortal Kombat. Wow, this guy did not. There's no Mortal Kombat in Mortal Kombat. It says, yes, this is a movie about convinced from someone who is prepared for a fine tournament that will decide to fade the Earth. Much of the film is dedicated to training for the tournament, while apparently it begins in several weeks. The entire story builds towards it, where characters spawning off an exposition of men's training montages, then, there's no tournament. Sure, there's fighting, but this is a Mortal Kombat movie where the villains are working to prevent the tournament of the title. And I'll be fine since the more common guys don't focus on the tournament. If the entire screenplay was literally built around establishing the rules or importance of the tournament before ending, but the problem is the sequel, but we'll actually we'll actually see the tournament. So basically what this guy's saying that basically the whole film is just a It's all them basically training for the tournament basically. It's like a prequel almost. So we never get the actual tournament while remember in the ninety five film, there was an actual tournament. <laughs> And this guy says the result of the movie feels like the world's most expensive prequel comic. The four issue miniseries with bad art releasing the months before release that you don't have to read, but in case you want it. This is 110 minutes of a setup moving characters into a place where they will hopefully become interested so they can hopefully be interested in the next movie. It's Sidious, really. Two hours, oh, just wait till you see the next one. The final film will continue to rival Johnny Cage, a movie, a movie star, martial artist, and popular character games. Sanding the building the brown, setting things up rather than delivering. At least Marvel movies know how to offer some meat with their teas. Wow. Okay. Yeah, this guy is really attacking like the characters too. So, like I said, based on it, the way wasted he's like giving it, like he's basically trashing the film. So basically, it's like, I mean, it. I like I, said, I can't give my opinion because to me, when I come in, I just remember '95 film because I grew up on that film. You know, the arcade machines, I remember going, the Beko, I remember as a kid, usually one of the arcades, usually when we go out for family lunch to say, I forgot the restaurant was to go to, they had like a little arcade set up, and they had Mortal Kombat there, I just remember that. Then they announced, you know, the Mortal Kombat film, and, you know, that was a big thing at the time, and, I mean, yeah, to watch it now, it's dated because, you know, the visual effects and stuff, but think about it, for freaking Goro, man, how they, make, how they made him with, like, almost like puppetry and stuff. At that time, I kind of thought like a film like this, with all the visual technology that it had in all these years, they could have spent on building the store with so many Mortal Kombat games. Right now, what, 11 now? Was it Mortal Kombat 11 now? It's like they had plenty of time to tell a decent story, but it's like, you should have said, it should have been just called Mortal Kombat if there's not actual Mortal Kombat. If the whole thing, based on what this is, the whole premise is, it's they're training for the tournament. They should have called this Mortal Kombat Origins or something. That's what they should have called it. 
Mortal Kombat Origins or or Mortal Kombat before the tournament or something, right? I don't know. They could have called it anything but that. Because if he's saying there's none in it, it's like, I mean, when I saw the trailer, it looked interesting. Like you see Scorpion doing get over here. It looked like it's fine because Scorpion was the good guy in this one, apparently. Well, they're going to do all the nostalgia crap at first. They have to. That's why I feel like the movie was going to be just a bunch of nostalgia grabs and then they try to build some sort of storyline from essentially nothing. <laughs> so they thought, oh yeah, we can make this work again. And we have a lot of games that can help you kind of find the lore in that because there is some sort of a lore in it but I don't I don't think we even needed a Mortal Kombat movie it's I, just the, the year that Hollywood should really be honing in on maybe like picking stuff that is creatively unique as opposed to only relying on in a year when cash grabs are going to be pretty eminent and they've been doing that for the past like half of the decade and then you would think that with the pandemic and them not being able to hold these humongous productions, yeah, they can throw a lot of that money into the editing and the and the graphics on that. And some people were even talking crap about that. Like we've come far as as adding a lot of technical technical stuff in, in movies. And, I mean, making full CGI rendered movies is one thing too. But in a in a in a movie based on a video game, you would think that even with the years when it came out in the 90s that they would have definitely done a better job and then even looking at it now it's like we were always teased even throughout the decade there was supposed to be this Mortal Kombat project in the works and even that looked cool but ended up being like a fan thing but like it sucks that when the studio like a studio like that gets money and a budget to make this thing and then you see it and it's just kind of like oh I would have been good without it like if it all if it automatically looks like a movie that you'll watch on a Saturday because you don't know what else to watch, then that that's not a good way to start a weekend, and then especially when it was streamed on HBO Max right away too, right? So you are gonna have a lot of the people watch it on there, so it may not reflect boldly on the box numbers, but it's gonna reflect poorly on the studio making this because, frankly, I feel like all these. The executives at these production houses are going to be a little tighter on the wallet on what they want to green light as something that they see as going to be a good investment. Because they are just investments. They're movies for the public, but they're investments for these people. They they expect to get double the money on their on their investment or more. And with Mortal Kombat, I can see them being like, "Yeah, this is a good idea. This was this would have been a good idea like ten years ago." Yeah, I think to me, I think what happened was they were trying to jump on. Remember, remember like years back on YouTube when they did the Machinima help make that mini Mortal Kombat series kind of. It was like a mini series. Yeah. And it was like these mini sodes that looked really good. I enjoyed that because it's, it wasn't like your normal Mortal Kombat. It was like more of an origin story for each of the characters. And you had Jerry Ryan play like a older version of Sonya Blade, but it's like. That was, like, to me, that looked really good because it kind of drove you more to the universe. And look at that. I think that's what it was. It was Warner Media decided, you know what? How successful this prequel, this fan-made film miniseries was with Machinima. Why don't we try to do this as a film? But like you said, because, like, they had so many games. They had so many lore. And, like I said, they if you're going to call about a comment, at least mention the tournament. But the way this review is saying, there wasn't no mention of the tournament at all. It was all more so like a prequel, kind of. That's what I said. They should have called it Mortal Kombat Origins. 
something that say, oh, the tournament's about to start, or like, you know, it, it shifts between each character saying, you know, it shows how they arrived, you know? It's like with anime, when they do like, um, these battle arcs and stuff, and they go back and they do like a, like a, they do it, like when they're about to enter a tournament, they do a flashback where it shows how that character got to from point A to point B, how they got there, how they arrived, you know? Because then you get a better backstory, you get better character development, so that way, you know, it makes you sympathize with the character. You get behind this character. But the way the way this review was, it's like they, like you said, they try to hit more on machinima, on uh, nostalgia, pretty much. You know, Scorpion, Sub Zero, going at it. You had Jax, you had Sonya Blade, you had Kano, you had Goro, supposed to be made an appearance, and you got Liu Kang and Kung Lao. So it's like you get these characters that you can recognize away, and then like, like I think a lot of people were pissed off because Johnny Cage didn't come out apparently until the end. Uh. So it kind of like. This is the whole, this whole thing. Because remember Johnny Cage in the first film? He was hilarious. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was He's pretty... a movie star and stuff. It's yeah, because like... those those actors really made the roles become more real. Um, for how... Like, even that one for how cheesy it was. It was definitely of the time. And and that's what I mean. Like, it's if you were going to compare it to only, the only thing that we had, which is its predecessor. Like, it's hard to... It's hard to not think that like there were some elements in that one that we can find more enjoyable than what we can find the new ones. And like, I think it gave me the same feeling I did when they're like, "Oh, look, they're making a new Power Rangers movie." Like, I don't need to see any of that stuff, but knowing that they made a new one and I saw that Michael Bay was in it, and I was just like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense. This is gonna be a Michael Bay movie, but we're Power Rangers." And exactly that was what it was—a Transformer-like movie, but with Power Rangers people and a little updated. But it's just kind of like that's that's where I get mad because then it's just kind of like why didn't we just use this money to I think like even getting an old run-of-the-mill CBS sitcom that's coming out this fall is way more has a, a lot harder of a barrier to entry than Mortal Kombat does considering that the fan base is already there and they're going to give you money to see how it is but that's not a return money like you're not going to get merch sales I bet you they probably developed like cool action figures based on the, these models in the movie. I mean Funko, dude. Come on, obviously Funko. Like, like nowadays, now it's like you get to all movies and stuff, so they start making Funko pops based on it. Yeah, and like that's uh, that's uh, like your uh, only. That's the only thing you get. Like, I mean, there's not much now in merchandise for films. It's like the only unless they make a Funko pop now, it's because that's become a norm now for any like. Right, but I'm, that's what I mean. Like, if it's only going to be made because of the merchandising background of it, and like, yeah, they can make money on there too, but it's not. You're not gonna get a sequel. And I don't think I don't know. I I, I didn't jump for joy watching it. Maybe I will watch it eventually. But I'm not gonna pay them theater money to see it. Like, I just don't think it would have done good as good anyways, even if it was getting a regular release. But we definitely see more commercials for it, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, ad marketing for it as well. I just see, like, anywhere, like, well, watch, like, anywhere you see on YouTube, they were advertising, like, the trailer and stuff. But like I said, like, if you're a big fan of the games, go check out the film, you know? If you're a big fan of it, but like I said, if you want to appear as, like, chances out your pie will be disappointed. But if you're a fan of the game and the game and the lore, you probably will enjoy it. It's like, like I said, it's, it's almost like, actually, it's a mixed review. Some people enjoy it, some people did not enjoy it. So it's like 50-50 right now. I mean, this is like one writer's opinion, but like I said, I can't give it an opinion because, like I said, it's just something, like myself, I would not pay $15 for Scottish just to watch one film. This is like, to me, it's like, I understand, like I said, with the whole pandemic and not going to a movie theater, um, is like, like, it's, you know, 
It's like, yeah, you get the same money you pay HBO Max, the same money you probably will spend in movie theater. Right now, movie theaters, like, not many movie theaters are open right now. Not many chains are open right now because of the pandemic. And then, it's like, like I said, I will see the film eventually once it goes to home media, once it's become video for home media, maybe we'll rent it. I'll say more of a rental versus actual buying it. I would say I would say rent it, guys, versus buying it. What do you say, Nico? Rent it or buy it? Um, if Blockbuster was the thing, I would say rent it. I just, I don't think, I think it was a little too late for it to be one of those movies where you can buy it or you can really feel good about, like, yeah, they just made a new Mortal Kombat movie. I'm excited to see it. It's like, ah, oh, what the fuck. So I don't know. I just didn't. It didn't strike me as like a must, must see. Like I wanted to see Tom and Jerry more than I wanted to see that. <laughs> Tom and Jerry. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm surprised. I'm honestly surprised they made it again. They try. They're trying. I'll give them that. They're trying. If not, they can just keep going what they do best. That's the video games. Keep it going. Um, I did see something with video game wise. I was watching yesterday. I guess um. They released like a new gameplay trailer for Somniac Games, uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Um, pretty much, um, this is for PS5 right now. As of right now, it's for PS5. It's a, if you play Ratchet and Clank, you're familiar with the franchise. I enjoyed the game for PS4. It was like a reboot. Of course, it, it was like a tie into the film itself. And the film was okay, but that's what that film should have been just for like you know home video versus theaters. It probably would have saved the more of the criticism for it. Um, we got to see, you know, what the gameplay is. Of course, if you ever play Ratchet and Clank, it's like a platform. There's like running gun. There's like flying and they're shooting. But it gives you the story where, you know, pretty much you get. You always saw a low part, but you get to see more of the few female Lombacks for her name. You finally get her name after so many people kept thinking about what her name's going to be and stuff. And eventually, you got to hear that her name is Rivet. Um, then we get. She's a part of the universe where the main villain ended up winning. And apparently this guy decided the Ferris or what's his name ends up losing the ratchet over and over again. He decides to go back to the universe where he always wins. And of course him and Clank end up getting separated. And of course Clank gets found by Rivet. And then she finds out that she's not the only Lombax. So she's like almost like the alternative version of like of um, Ratchet basically. And the way the game looks it's really nice. It's like playing a film. It's like playing a movie. It looks really good. I mean, the, the, the gameplay is really good. Like, like I said, that's something I would pick up if I have a PS5. Of course, unfortunately, it's still hard to find. And, of course, you know, there's been articles about even Sony said they're trying their best to try to increase production, but it's all about the certain component parts that's becoming a shortage right now because of the pandemic. So a lot of the companies that made those parts, either production got slowed down or, you know, based on where, you know, where suppliers are under conditions and stuff and they're saying that come back and I know some of them are saying that chances are we probably won't have a full production where you actually can go to the store pick one up until possibly mid next year but I know I've been like following this person on Twitter right now who does like who keeps in tie with the restocks and stuff apparently they're supposedly one that's the stuff this recording supposed to happen tomorrow morning and it sucks because I have to work tomorrow so I won't be in line for Target's restocks supposedly for Target's restocks is supposed to be early in the morning PS5s, and believe me, guys, I've been waiting to get one, but... It's like, for me now, it's like... Even though there's not that many games out for the PS5 that I want to play right now, of course, Darks... Of course, Demon's Souls is one of them I want to play, because that's pretty much the precursor to Dark Souls. But, like I said, just to save up to get, have the 500 bucks, you still got to pay like, the taxes and stuff. 
there's not many games in the library at launch, but I think it's just the whole people want it. You know, mm-hmm. they want they want it. They want to jump the next generation. I totally understand, but at the same time, you look from the financial standpoint. It, most of the games are costing seventy bucks, ten dollars more than you pay for the regular game. And rather cool about this is you have the whole backwards capability with the PS4. So that's kind of cool. You get to play PS4 games, and some real games will transfer over to the library. So that's kind of good. So it kind of saves yourself money on there. But if I do get it, do get a PS5, I probably will subscribe to the PlayStation Now service just so I can play the games. And of course, the big thing that with Tis and stuff was like about how Xbox Game Pass got MLB to show. Yeah. And how PlayStation Now people are pissed off because they didn't get it as a title to play for free. So now PlayStation Now is trying their best to try to get people on their service as well with the Avengers <laughs> game. So, but. Yeah, but definitely check out the gameplay trailer for Ratchet Claim with the part. It looks really good. Um, let's see what else. That's the one thing I saw. Let's see if I pull it up here. I'm on CBR. What the heck? Citizen Kane's perfect Rotten Tomato score gets tarnished by 80 year old review. What the heck? Okay. Says Orson Welles' classic. Okay, this is from comic book resources. The article was written by Michael McDonald, published eight twenty-eight minutes ago. Wow. Okay. And, there, and it says here Orson Welles' classic nineteen forty-one film says it came with a hundred percent critic rating. Ryan Simmons due to eighty-year-old review from the Chicago Tribune. Because the review aggregation website Ryan Simmons received an eighty-year-old critical review over Citizen Kane didn't reduce the classic film's otherwise perfect rating. And this is from the article, guys. The review question written under pseudonym may Tinay pronounced like Manatee. Oh, I'll get it. Matinee. The post in Chicago on May 7, 1941 was shared on Twitter alongside its 99% Rotten Tomatoes critic score. The 80 year old critique was the only review of Citizen Kane deemed rotten of 116 aggregated reviews of the film. Orson Welles' epic tale of Polishing Tycoon's Rise and Fall is entertaining, poignant, and invented storytelling in earnings rotation as a laboratory film critic because his reads. Well, let's see what that article says. And this is what the article says. The title of the article was Citizen Kane fails to impress critic as great as ever filmed. The Chicago Tribune Review disagreed with the 115 entries that presented Citizen Kane as ever saying. You heard a lot about this picture, and I've seen by the ads that some extra thing is the greatest movie ever made. Critic matinee began. I don't. Continued by critiquing Wells' character, Foster Kane is a complete egotist, and the film sets in the shot composition as shadowy and spooky. Okay. And this is from the article. This is from the view, guys. Um, the usual forward disclaiming intentional identification of the pictured characters with persons living or dead conspicuous by his absence. Tenney continued, referring to the long-held belief that the character Kane was based on her life on American newspaper publicist William Randolph Hearst. While Wells was denied this, Hearst was nonetheless angered by Citizen Kane famously banned any advertising or reviewing the film in his newspapers, as well as having the film banned in many theaters. This cost Citizen Kane to lose $160,000 during his initial run. Wow. So, no longer, so I guess, guys, it's no longer the perfect score now. <laughs> so, it's interesting how they were able to publish an ADO article. That's crazy. Out of all how many reviews? But to make it considered as like a actual legitimate review for it. Yeah. 
That's weird. I mean, Citizen Kane's a pretty, like, reviled movie. Have you seen it? Yeah, we saw it in high school. I remember seeing it in high school. Um, in the psychology class, of all things. That's not bad. I mean, I've seen a parody on, like, programs at the time. I mean, there's, like, I think Tiny Toons did, like, a parody of it. In the 90s with it, because that was like... There's a, a lot of movies. A lot of movies kind of parodied uh, the whole concept of it. It's definitely one of the know, one of the best movies ever made, I guess. Some people, definitely at the time. Of the time, too. I, I, I don't know, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Not the best movie in the world. <laughs> but f- for it to, f- to bring its 100% Rotten Tomato score down because of an 80-year-old reviewer... That has to suck a little bit. Yeah, I mean... Like I said, if I... never really, like, pretty much... If, if I seen the film, like, I probably would agree with the person who wrote it, but at the same time, I have not seen the film, so I can't really say anything about it. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, it's interesting to see what's going on, but like I said, um... Yeah, like new stuff. It's like that much new stuff, but let me look at the. You know what? Let's look at the Oscar winners, guys. Let's take a look because it's like. Might as well. I think we did this last year, but let's look at it. See Oscar twenty twenty. Let's see who won. The winners. All right, here we go. Nominees and winners. Okay. Let's see here. I think I pulled everything up already. Okay, it says here Best Sound went to the winner of Best Sound was Sound of Metal by Michelle Kotelek, Nicholas Becker, Jamie. And the Humanitarian Award, I guess I did the Jean Herschel Humanitarian Award. Most Picture Television Film was the winner, and Tyler Perry. Best Short Documentary was. Colette by Anthony Giacchino and Alice Doyer. Best Animated Short Film If Anything Happens, I Love You by Will McCormick and Michael Cougar. Oh, okay. See, like I said, never seen any of these films. Um, best Production Design Mank, Donald Graham, Burt, and Jan Pascal. Best Film Editing Sound of Metal. That was on uh, Amazon. Which one? Sound of Metal, I think. Is that like an Amazon original? or? Yeah. It's got a documentary? No, it's a movie. Mikhail Eugene Nielsen. Best Costume Design. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom by Ann Roth. She That's on best Netflix. Best Makeup and Hairstyling. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mia Neal, Sergio Lopez Rivera, Jamika Wilson. Best Cinematography, Cinematography Mank by Eric Messerschmidt. Best Live Action and Short Film. Two Distant Strangers by Trevon Free, Barton Desmond Roll. Okay. Best Visual Effects, Tenet. Hey, Chris Nolan won something. <laughs> they won for Best Visuals. Andrew Lockley, Scarlett Fisher, Andrew Jackson. Best Adapted Screenplay, The Father by Florence Zeller, Christopher Hampton. Best Virtual Screenplay, Promising Young Woman by Emerald Fennell. And it looks like Best Original Score, Soul, by Trent Reznor, John Baptiste, Atticus Ross. Trent Reznor, he started doing, like, composings now, huh? He's been doing that for a long time now. 
Best documentary feature, My Octopus Teacher by Craig Foster, paper by Rick James Reed. Best animated feature, Soul by Peter Doctor, Daniel Lee Murray. Oh wow, Soul won for best animated feature. It beat out Wolfwalkers, Onward, A Shaun, The Sheep Movie, and Over the Moon. Best Supporting Actor, Daniel Kuluya, Judas and the Black Messiah. Best Director, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Yeah, I did read that she became like the second woman to win the Best Director, but the first person of color to win one. That's on Hulu, I believe. It's like a Fox Searchlight film or it's a Searchlight Pictures film. I forgot the name of the Fox, but Searchlight. It's on Hulu, actually. I think Hulu has most of the, the, win, the nominees and the winners on there, too. I might have to check it out. International feature film, another round one. Best supporting actress, uh, Yeon Yoo Joon for Minari. Oh, wow, so the cast is actually more diverse. Where's uh, here? Best original song, Fire Few by H.E.R., T.R. Thomas, DeMaio. Okay. Best actress, Frances McDormand from Nomadland. Best actor Anthony Hopkins for The Father. Oh wow! And then for best picture was No Man Land. That's the way it closes out. Peter Spears. Well, interesting to see. Well, look at this. Anthony Hopkins honors Chadwick Boseman after Oscar win. Like a, I guess a lot of people were. Like I guess, a lot of people were upset that he didn't win posthumously. But it looks like Anthony Hopkins actually steps Oscar and plays tribute to him. Let's see what it says here in New York Times. So after four hours, he won the Best Actor in the three Academy Awards. It helps Anthony Hopkins deliver his acceptance in a video from Wales. Second of all, acknowledge the actor who been widely expected to win posthumous Chadwick Boseman. This is from New York Times, guys. This is what uh, Hopkins said. 83 years of age and I expect to get this award. I really didn't, said Hopkins, who won his role as a patriarch struggling with dementia and the father. Sunday Night Hopkins became the oldest actor to win an award almost three decades after their first Oscar win in category for Silence of the Lambs. Wow. The award provided a strange ending ceremony when Boson was awarded a Golden Globe for Best Actor this year. The most successful speech given by Will Taylor is from Lund Word. It says Boson was like. Yep. It says here. Here's what Hopkins says. I want to pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman, who was taken from us far too early. Hawkins said in his video, which was posted on social media. Post one Wales' video was short and sweet. Hawkins taking a typical cast of characters in the caption to his Instagram post. The film's production company, his talent agency, his family, they all very much. Hawkins says, I really did not expect this. I mean, he mentioned them out, so I mean, yeah, I kind of see why. Um, not people are saying Chadwick should have won. But I mean,. And when an actor like Anthony Hopkins has been in a role like that, you know, he's done so much. But I mean, he was, he was Odin in Marvel. He was Silence of the Lambs. He's, he was in, like, The Legend of Zorro. <laughs> the Mask of Zorro, I believe it was called. And like I said, that was the second Oscar one after winning Silence of the Lambs all those years. But like I said, I just don't know who does the voting for the Academy. That's, there are people that are in the Academy. Uh, yeah. Chairs. Board, it's like 20, 15, 20 people or something there that worked in the music industry or, music, or the film industry for a long time. Sometimes some of them are actors too. Hmm. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, but also to give him a posthumous award because he unfortunately passed away before. I mean, I understand the whole lot. It means a lot to that family, but I don't think he wasn't the main character in that movie. Yeah, um, Blaze Black Queen. Yeah, he's not. Uh, but like, I I get. I'm not taking away from his performance by any means. It's just just because of some. And it's, it may sound bad, but it's the truth. Like, just because somebody dies a short while before the video, the movie comes out and that comes out, like we did it with Heath Ledger's Dark Knight. Like, he didn't get. He didn't win. Because did he win? I don't know, but he, like, he wasn't there to accept the award. He died regardless. But, like, that was a hell of a performance. And, like I mentioned, I'm not taking anything from Chadwick Boseman's, but, like, they still gave it to Anthony Hopkins because they felt like his acting portrayed, I guess it was a stronger performance compared to whatever Chadwick Boseman was doing in, in Mama Rainey's. So it's just, like, two different complete films. I'm not taking it away from it. It's just stating the facts, like... The, the, the Academy does this shit all the time, though. Like, a person dies and they don't really say much. Maybe they'll give them a little tribute and that's it. But, like, I think a Chadwick Boseman was in a lot more different movies and he wasn't only held in that Black Panther. Like, I think that's what helped with Mama Rainey's is that, like, it showed his diversity and how he can play these different types of characters. Yeah, because I think and I saw this. died. Yeah, so then just, I saw this one clip. I forgot where I saw him, right? Like, he played James Brown this one clip. Yeah. And it was like, wow, man, he, I, he did that, he did Jackie Robinson, and mm-hmm. he did that one film, 21 Bridges, and it showed this guy had really, he had like, uh, you know, he could play any character, honestly. It just sucks that, you know, he was dealing with, like, stomach cancer, which he kept it private. Like, he didn't come out in public until, you know, when he passed away. So that was the one thing too. But I respect the fact that he kept his illness private because he didn't want that all the attention on him. Because he was like the way he was, he was like a humble guy. He wasn't like you know, he wanted to act and he was willing to work with everybody. And you know, he didn't want all the attention on him basically. But at the same time, it's like you said, he won the Golden Globes posthumously, and the people were expecting a hey, he'll probably win the Oscar too. But it, it, like I said, but let me look it up because I just pulled up this article about actors who received both seniors awards. It's like it's going back to that Heath Ledger thing. Like I think he did. I think Heath Ledger won for best supporting actor. I think it was. Which honestly, if you ever see Dark Knight, guys, definitely watch Dark Knight. Heath Ledger did a great job as the Joker. You know, because he kind of gave a different side to the Joker almost. Composer now we have Joaquin Phoenix performance, but def- t- definitely take a look at Heath Ledger's. Oh, that's not loading up for me. Come on, come on, People Magazine. <laughs> oh, come on, there we go. I mean, he was like Jerry Wilson was nominated, but like I said, people were like, oh, "Can I put a view all here?" Chrome did something for me today. Oh, next slide. Here we go. Well, I mean, look at um. Okay, so it pulls up other people. So okay. Yeah, 
says here, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger died at 28 years old in 2008, six weeks before the release of his blockbuster film, Batman film, The Dark Knight. 2009 Academy Awards, his parents and sister accepted the Best Supporting Actor Oscar on his behalf. Mm. So he did win an award. He did win the Oscar for his performance. So that, um, what else was that as well? James Dean. Dean was only 24 years old when he died in Christ in 1995. Received two Best Actor nominations at his death for East of Eden and Activity of Sanford Chang. He didn't win either award. Mm-hmm. Spencer Tracy. Mm-hmm. Peter Finch. Massimo Tifosi. Mm-hmm. Robert Gerson. Jeannie Eagles. Wow. Okay. But yeah, so Heath Fletcher did win one posthumously. Like I said, that was probably the trend where, you know, he, like like I said, Charlie Bulls have won best, you know, he won, like, best, he won best, you know, actor for Nicole and Glows. That's when people were thinking, they you know, for some Black Bottom, that he was going to win the best, uh, win the best actor as well for the Oscar. But like I said, like you said, because it's done by the Academy board. It's not done, like, by the fans, you know? It's done by the board itself. They make the, the final decision. But at least he got nominated. But it's like... I think it's because a lot... It's all reputation, like I said. And then the fans get upset. It's like, I understand. You're not always going to satisfy people. That's how it is. You're never... No one's truly going to be satisfied. With any decision that's being made. But hey, it's all to the people that won. You know, that won their awards, you know. I saw based on the... There's a lot of, like, diverse films. And a lot of diverse actors winning film. Like, doing awards. So, that get to see that starting to change up a little bit. Like these films that, you know, slip through the cracks that you never know of finally win awards. Like Parasite, the one year. Swept their kind of awards last year. So I might have to check out Nomadland and see how it is. I know it's on Hulu right now, so definitely check it out and see why that film won. Won the best, act, best like, picture. I do want to mention something I saw last week. Oh, um, I know I'm kind of like the only wrestling fan on this podcast. Um, I don't know if you guys checked out any, um, those are collect- did a collaboration with Dodie doing like a biography series. Um, and they're doing two shows. Um, they're doing, um, doing one with, uh, they're doing a biography series, they're doing like an eight part series and doing like different, like focusing on different, um, superstars. The first one they did was Stone Cold Steve Austin, which was a, about, I'll say, well, commercials was like two hours, probably be like an hour and a half, probably. I did like for a fact, I mean, they tried to do that in the past, but this one kind of like did more with Steve Austin because it's all like new interviews with him, basically. Like, you can tell they filmed this before the pandemic because they did it, well, because Austin lives in Nevada. So you can tell they're doing it by his ranch and stuff because he was driving a truck to head to Nevada plates. And I know Steve Austin, I know Steve Austin, if you follow his podcast, he did mention that he was opening up a. He was coming back and forth between California and Nevada because his wife's family lives in Nevada. And I think he was selling, and I think recently he, he just sold, he's selling his home in California where normally he would film the podcast. So I think they're trying to do it in Nevada now, but that was kind of cool biography. They had Triple H, they had Vince McMahon, they had Dwayne Johnson doing interviews, they had his family doing interviews, like his mom, his brother, his sisters, you know. And it was kind of cool because it, it gave you a glimpse what he went through like as a kid 
going through high school and of course how he got into like he was in football and then how he got into you know to the wrestling business and kind of show his struggles his up and down struggles his personal life and kind of show why he left WWE at that time and that health scare he had back in 2003 before his match with The Rock uh, he had that health scare and what he's doing with his life now and it was kind of cool seeing that because I mean you know Stone Cold Steve Austin to me I still have, like if I had a Mount Rushmore in professional wrestling it'll be Stone Cold Steve Austin will be up there The Undertaker Ric Flair and my number fourth will have to be will be Andre the Giant that would be my top four. would be my martial art wrestling. And, and to me, that was, you know, like I said, I was, you know, big on WWE back in the late 80s, early 90s, but I got away from it until, you know, Uncle Sal introduced us to the Attitude Era. And, of course, Uncle Steve Austin was from that time. And, like I said, he was one, him and many others were the key components of bringing wrestling again and wrestling entertainment again. And... This was a good, like, definitely check it out. I think you can check it out on demand right now if you have, like, cable on demand, like, biography on demand, any on demand. And then the other show they did was to call the Hidden Treasures by WD's Hidden Treasures, but basically what WD's trying to do, the whole premise of WD's trying to do is, um, they want to make it almost like a museum almost. They're in the works of possibly doing one. And they want to track down gear that the wrestlers had back then that and I'm getting sold in auctions and stuff, and they're willing to go get it. So what's kind of cool is the first episode actually had uh, Mick Foley. So it had like the guy. I guess he works with WWE. He's like a rookie train rookie, but he's working with the with their archivists and stuff. The guy who runs the warehouse, and they're traveling around and making contact with these fans that had the gear. It's actually used gear, but you get to see like like a backstory to it. Mm-hmm. They try to buy. It was really interesting to see because. It kind of shows the fans like how dedication you have of a wrestling fan, and it's kind of cool. You got to see these fans that, <coughs> excuse me, I grew up on the Attitude Era and big fans, and then you get to see the you know the wrestlers having that nostalgia feeling of it. Yeah, I've seen their old gear, see how much their you know their performance or impact impacted a person's lives. Definitely check it out, guys. It's definitely check it out. It's on eighty. I think this past Sunday was the Roddy Roddy Piper documentary. His biography and then of course the episode definitely check it out both of them are showing on Sundays on A&E shameless plug guys uh, excuse me um I do wanna I don't know if you have anything you've seen on Reddit or something that you wanted to talk about like your little Reddit corner no I I just see this there's like a video going around um some guy, some, I guess you could say one of those, like, marketing guru people that, like, he essentially got gotten caught in the past by having shady businesses, mm-hmm. and so he invites Edward Snowden on this, like, webinar thing to talk about some other stuff, and then he, Edward Snowden kind of, he actually reveals that the the host of this seminar thing has actually, like, he's dug some research on him, and he's done, he has a lot of past he's been accused of fraud and stuff back to his like back from his original businesses and stuff like that and so then like hold on let me see if i can play the video 
It's actually kind of fucking. I can't believe it actually happened. It's kind of long. Yeah, it's like. And so it's really astonishing to me that uh, just before I connected, I had uh, a friend reach out to me and tell me they heard things on this conference, uh, like someone saying that they couldn't uh, afford this. You know, the host uh, saying, find a way for it. We need to defeat the virus like can't afford it. And that's time of inequality. Uh, but we can't accept that. People are struggling. And there are things that we can't ask them to do. And to say that that's okay to turn up to go on with that, I think is wrong. And so I have to ask, you know, <laughs> it's very unusual that you booked me for this conference because, you know, as a whistleblower, it's my obligation, I think personally and professionally, to ask, uh, is this you? So, so you can't see it, but Edward Sullivan pulls up like an article he finds. It's on the guy that's hosting the that's event. That's hosting the event, and it says, "Man named in in a four point four million dollar Ponzi scheme keynote speaker at a at a Winnipeg event." And it says, yeah. "Sural Tosiani to promote private investment, something organization previously used to recruit Ponzi investors." Oh, good. Like a so this guy is like trying to go and rebrand himself as something different, and he. And he invites Edward Snowden to speak at his like private investment club <laughs> webinar thing. That's when he kind of. I think that it is. Yeah. And I think that the things that I've heard tonight make me very uncomfortable with this event. I think it makes me investment very uncomfortable. Investment club Canada. This should really question. On the right. Uh, is this the kind of association that they want to have? Uh, are you going to be able to deliver on the promises that you're making? I sure hope to God that you will. But my advice to everyone on this call. Everyone looking at this is look up uh, what you're getting involved in. If you spend money, uh, are you sure that you want to spend it or do you want to charge it back? Um, and by God, think hard about if you want to continue this. Because for me, ladies and gentlemen, for tonight, I don't. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Wow. It's like, dude, you know who you, who you invite? Edward Stillen, the whistleblower, who I think is like the Robin Hood? Because think about it, he's the Robin, he's the modern day Robin Hood because he took all this information, all this stuff he he knew and decided to share it with the public, and that's why he's that's why he's right now currently in Russia on asylum because as soon as he tries to land America, so they're gonna take him because he had all these secrets that pretty much Big Brother pretty much is hiding from us, and for that guy, he said, oh I'm gonna fight this guy. I'm like he didn't think about. You know who you invited to do your seminar, right? The guy who's really good at what he does. Being a whistleblower. And he said it. He saw what he said. And the thing was, it's my obligation to share. As a whistleblower, it's my obligation to share. That's the thing is that, like, he... You said it's... And considering this guy... And it seems like this guy's doing okay still to have all these people coming into his fucking... Private investment club seminar. He's standing in this room surrounded by LED screens. It's kind of interesting. So it seems like he's doing okay job, but then someone comes up. And there's still, like, a good portion. There's, like, 30 seconds left of the video. Like, the host is just... Wow. He doesn't know what to say. What else can he uh, say? Let's take, like, a few minutes break, and I'll, write, I'll be right back. And um, <laughs> we'll go over this. I'll go over the whole thing with you guys. This is totally unexpected. 
<laughs> totally <laughs> unexpected. <laughs> you mean what you saw, dude? The largest real estate uh, club thing, in Canada, private like investment club. Somebody writes something, and you know these are these are the same stuff that a lot of people do, where there's a headline where people look at, and and and. Now he's trying to say that it's like children do that. So. Oh my God, dude. He put up all your info, dude. There's no way. It's all those articles to read by, dude. You pretty much people yourself, man. Uh, I did pull up. Speaking of WWE, I don't know why he was going back. I did see something that most shocking anime fans. I don't ever talk about. Apparently, this is from Anime News Network. Uh, WWE president WWE sells multi-episode anime series to Crunchyroll. Articles written by Crystalline Hodgkins. Uh, WWE President and Chief Revenue Officer Nick Khan revealed during a webcast of the WWE's first quarter 2021 results on Thursday that it has sold a multi-episode anime series to Crunchyroll. Khan did not mention any other information about the work. Khan proceeded to announce by saying, as we continue to expand WWE's brand beyond the ring, we remain focused on developing a state of original programming from WWE Studio. I think it's because of the whole fact that now they're on Peacock. I think WWE's trying to Pretty much throw away now they got Peacock's backing, they got like their financial money into it. Uh, Peacock marking in other other like states. Um They're trying to focus more on content outside of wrestling. With it being an anime series, it'll be interesting to see how they do it. I mean you have a comic base on these like characters by Boom Studios. And I mean there are animes in the past that focus on professional wrestling. Um, one of them is actually by the Kimono Ichi, which is done by the creator Konosuba, which focuses on this, this wrestler who pretty much, um, he's a big animal fan and he's a big animal lover um, and he when he does his big match he's going to retire and open up a pet store and he's facing this big rival and he gets summoned to another world by this princess and the princess asked, puts him on a task saying you're the strongest warrior we can find take out this demon lord this demon beast, and he's like, "You want me?" To hurt? And the guy's like, "You want me to hurt beasts? You want me to hurt animals?" He gets pissed off, gives the princess a German suplex, and freaking her skirts uplifted. You can see her panties, and it's funny. And there's another anime called Tiger Mask. There's another one that's based on like the wrestler Tiger Mask. I think that reason that version is currently on Crunchyroll, and that one actually features some characters of possible WWE superstars in there, make cameos in there. Um. I mean, there's another one too. Uh, the one to read the world's strongest is like the female one. That's on Funimation. So yeah, there has been like some pro wrestling in the past when it comes to anime, but with WWE, you take it that marketing, it's like I understand Mexico right now. They got the Rey Mysterio cartoon series with Crunchyroll from Mexico. They got the Rey Mysterio series, animated series. So we'll see what WWE does with that. But it's really interesting to see with that as well. Um, I'm trying to think, what else. That's interesting to see because they freaking overstole it, man. Still, you know, willing to expose everybody. <laughs> Good, even that Ponzi scheme guy. I don't know if people keep still doing those Ponzi schemes. I thought those things were dead. Uh, never. Uh, it's like, it's freaking But I do want to say, like, I know I keep going back with WWE, but I, the documentary I did see was, um, you know, I had Peacock now with WWE being on Peacock. You know, they did documentary series called 24. With WWE does like their own like documentaries. Um, the one I saw this Sunday was The Miz. It was 24 hours at, uh, like a retrospective of the career of The Miz. He's still going strong, but it was kind of cool. With WWE start doing these 24s now, 
with the whole aspect now, before, you know, back then, they try to make us believe that these characters were real, you know? That these characters, these people who were portraying were real and stuff. They didn't have families, they were just who they were on screen. But as soon as WWE started with the network and started putting these disclaimers, and now with KFA being pretty much dead, and now WWE bring more open up showing who these guys, these superstars are behind the scenes, it's kind of cool because you get to see where their beginnings, like how they were brought up family wise, what they did before, how they got into the business. And with the Miz's story was really remarkable because it shows they came up from a working family out in Parm, Ohio, and you know, he's a big wrestling, he was a kid who always wanted attention and stuff, and you know, he liked to act and stuff as a kid, and of course he ended up making an appearance on the real world, New York. And of course, you know, when the real was done, it kind of shows what he was going to do next, and he been a fan of wrestling and stuff. He's like he just like it shows like the stuff time in the real world they had clips from the show and stuff and how it's supposedly on the show he made this character called the Miz like this character and how and he decided to take that and get into wrestling and he decided you know first he decided to go into indie scene learn like from like go to schools and stuff and then he tried to toughen up he was on that show tough enough when MTV helped finance that and it kind of shows like his struggles like even trying to get the respect of the, of the other superstars in the locker room. And to the point where it talked about one incident where I guess he was eating chicken or something in the locker room and, and the wrestler embellished it saying he got the like or like residue onto like the other person's bags and to the point because a lot of the wrestlers didn't have respect for him because he came he was a reality TV star. But the kid wanted to learn. And supposedly they shut him from the locker room for like almost seven months. It wasn't until the Miz did had a match with Undertaker that of course, Undertaker, even though Undertaker doesn't say he's the leader at the locker room at that time, but he's the most respected person. And then I get, I mean, he talked to the Undertaker, and they said, hey, they keep me out of the locker room, and then Undertaker was able to help him out and stuff. And he, he talks about how the struggles and stuff, and how they're taking out with his character, how he had to make changes and stuff. He wanted to stay relevant. But he said he was willing to do whatever he want, he'd be, whatever he can to help the business and stuff. It's a really good documentary, guys. I do recommend you check it out if you have Peacock. Check it out on the Dodi channel. Check it out the 24 um Documentary series The Miz Definitely check it out I think to me Like this week Was all about documentaries I've been Same thing I've been trying To catch up on Anime And of course um, I do want to Bring up a recommendation Because I've been Catching up on the Even like the new Animes that come out For this spring So let me pull up My anime list Which pretty much Guys you want to Follow me on my Anime list Let me give you My username You want to check out What anime that I have Watched recently I can actually Give you my username Hold on Let me if you want to look me up, um, A-L-F-O-B-A-R-R-685. That's my username. You can pull up my list on there. But I do want to give out one of the animes that I'm watching. And believe me, this one is... I'm actually going to read you the Japanese title. So I've been out for three episodes so far. It's on Crunchyroll. So bear with me. I've been learning Japanese. I'm still going to do some little change today later. But it's called Slime Tasoshite 300 Uchi ni Level Max ni Nami Mashita. Also known as. English title is. Uh, if I can pull up the English title. Oh, yeah. I've been. Pretty much my title is I've been killing slimes for 300 years by maxing out my level. And basically, the whole story is it's a comedy fantasy. And it's going to run for 12 episodes. It's based on a light novel. The studio is Rubber Root. Um, pretty much, it's a comedy. 
And pretty much the story is, suddenly dying from World War salary woman, Azusa Aizawa finds herself before an angel, who allows her to reincarnate into a new world as an immortal witch, where she spends her days killing slimes for money on an otherwise <coughs> eternal vacation. But even the minimal experience points from slimes will add up after hundreds of years, and Azusa discovers that she accidentally reached the maximum level, fearing that her strong abilities will attract work and force her back to a life of overexertion, she decides to hide her strength in order to preserve her peaceful lifestyle. Despite her efforts, tales of the max level Witch of the Plateau spread across the land, and a proud dragon named Raika shows up looking to test her strength against her. Even though Azusa defeats her friends Raika, problems arise as both friends and foes come looking for the secluded witch. And it's really cool, it's really funny because it's a comedy, and it's like... Because it's one of those, like, isekai, isekai's, like, otherworld. So it's like their typical isekai, but it's what I like about it. Besides that, it's, it's a comedy. It's like slice of life. I mean, there's no big villain. It's just she decided she was a person in a previous life. She overworked herself. And she asked her, like, the person, the being angel, picked it up saying, what do you want to do? She's like, I want to... And she gives her opportunity to go to another world. And she's like, the only thing I ask is that you make me immortal. So she she never ages basically. So she's immortal basically, mm. and she decides to live her life kind of science. And of course, she does for three hundred years. Kind of maxes out her level to the point that she doesn't take it easy. She doesn't just do something just for money. That was it. And just live out her life, take it easy. And I guess she draws these different characters. And like I said, it's real funny. Um, you can check it out on Crunchyroll. Like three episodes right now. And like I said, like with me, like right now, currently is holding about seven point twenty two score on Mal on my anime list. And definitely, guys, if you haven't heard of my anime list, definitely check it out. It's like a database where you keep track. It's like a tracker. Mm-hmm. So you can keep a track of, you know, what shows you're watching or what mangas you're in. You can links to the manga. Or you can get links to websites as well. We can read the manga or buy it. And you get to see who plays who. You got pictures of the actors. What studio did it. You know, you can give your own ratings for it, your own reviews. And pretty much you can see these lists and share with your friends and stuff. This is really cool. Just check it out. Just check out this anime. So that's my anime recommendation for the week. Um, Biko, you have anything else to add? Uh, no, not that I know. Check out the Oscar winners. If you can today, let me know how it is. Maybe watch Mortal Kombat. Let us know how it is. Uh, we probably won't watch it. Because <laughs> I don't want the disappointment. But uh, maybe. I don't know yet. No, but as far as I have no idea what to add I just thought that video was fucking cringe <laughs> the last person I asked for uh, to and he was essentially just using that and to say that he had uh, an, uh business relationship with Edward Snowden wow yeah so don't get a don't get someone who's good at revealing business secrets or secret operations to reveal Thank your yeah. past Ponzi scheme accusation like I said, this guy was really smart. He should have done his research like we, like everyone does. Do your research, buddy. Because you didn't know, like, you know who you're dealing with, man. It's like, you know who you're who going to deal with. So, yeah. So, like, check it out, guys. Check out Nomadland. That's currently on Hulu. And if you go on Hulu right now, you can check out the nominations as well. I think they got the other nominees on there as well. And like you said, but Biko said, check out Motor Comic. Give it your opinion. If you want to let us know what you think of the film. Like I said, me and Biko are probably going to hold off watching it. If you guys want to check out check out the film and you want to let us know, you can like tweet us at on Twitter at Pop Talking, or you can um, send us a comment on our Facebook page. Make sure to hit that like on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash talkingpop. Um, 
Um, you can follow our podcast on Anchor, Google, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and now on Audible and any other podcast platforms. You can check our merch store on spring.com slash store slash talk and pop. We got t-shirts. We just got put up the new logo on a t-shirt. Definitely check it on there. Get yourself a t-shirt as well to support the podcast. Um, you can follow me on the socials at the franchise 85 You can follow me on the Twitter. Um, you can follow me on Twitch. I am the casual gamer on twitch.tv slash franchise 685 I do a lot of like JRPG role-playing games or story-based games. Uh, be good. Do you want people to follow you on socials? Uh, just on, on Instagram at uh, Wander the Void. You can find me. Just type that in. Alright guys, um, that's it for this week. Sorry we didn't have too much to talk about. Like It was very very slow news time this week. Besides the Oscars. But other than that, we want to at least get you an episode out this guys. So we'll see if we come up with something good next week. So enjoy the rest of your week. As always, geek on and take care. Hey, it's the franchise from Talking Pop with the franchise of Biko. Just letting you know, we have a storefront. It's teespring.com slash Talking Pop. We got shirts. We got tank tops for men, women, kids. We also got hoodies and sweatshirts. Um, we actually have coffee mugs, and we have an iPhone case and a Samsung case with the Popstronaut logo on there. Also, we have stickers, so you can put on your locker, on your laptop, whatever you want to put those stickers on there. So right now, if you go to teespring.com slash TalkingPop, and when you go to check out, use the promo code TalkPop and save $5 on your order. Support the podcast. As always, geek on and take care.